Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey folks, Zach Osprey, Alley Insider, Indianapolis Star. It was a high-pitched start to this uh, podcast. Uh, across from me, IU Insider, Bloomington Herald Times, Dustin DePirac. It is June 8th, 2022. Dustin, this is Mind Your Banners Take Two for June 8th, 22. Uh, I, I, the internet decided to throw a few obstacles in our path and take one. But we are discussing today, um, there's a lot of talk, a lot of, a lot of chatter around Indiana this offseason. Is Indiana the preseason favorite? Will they be the highest ranked team in the preseason? Um, should they be? What are the doubts? What are the concerns? You and I uh, had an interesting sort of back and forth sort of beat writer chat with our editor, moderated by our editor that will be in the paper this week. Um, that got me tugging on a couple of threads. And, and one of the biggest ones was marginal gains, because I think we've, we've talked about, you know, the, the big themes are always the ones that get played up the most. Can Trace Jackson Davis evolve offensively? Can Indiana hit more threes? Is there somebody, whether it's Jalen Hitchafino or Tamar Bates or Jordan Geronimo that can take a really big leap forward offensively? But it does occur to me that for a, a, an Indiana team that I think lost, I want to say, um, nine games last season by single digits. And I think seven of those were by no more than five points, maybe no more than six points. Um, the idea of marginal gains could really change the calculus for this team. To, could, could, you know, as we think about maybe the big things that could change, I'm thinking about small things that could change. If, for example, Indiana can just get up to the the national median and made threes per game. They don't need to make one and a half more per game, but that's four extra points a game. Again, for a team that lost a lot of games close, Indiana was really good defensively last season while being one of the worst teams in the conference, not just at putting teams on the free opponents on the free throw line, but seeing putting the wrong players on the free throw line and the free throw line becoming a problem. It just occurs to me that if we take at face value the idea that Indiana is going to be a little bit deeper this year, a little bit more athletic this year, certainly more comfortable this year, obviously in year two under Mike Woodson, but also probably still flawed in some ways. Maybe the conversation around whether or not this team can challenge for a Big Ten title should center a little bit more on you know, the, the, the rough edges they could polish and the little bits and pieces they can shave off to become more efficient and maybe win a few more of those close games rather than coming up short in them. Yeah, no, I'm going to agree. And, and I think obviously some of the, the key flaws that we're talking about are, are only going to get so much better anyway. Like that, that it's not like, I, I don't see anything changing in such a way that Indiana is the best three-point shooting team in the Big Ten this season. It, it just has to get somewhat better i mean to, to your point just going from being th there's not a whole lot of difference in made threes per game as as you mentioned i, I think uh when we i think in take one i think you you did the math and not the math but like looked them up and i think they were 304th uh in made threes per game there's not a whole lot of distance between 
uh, three hundred fourth in the middle uh, as far as total made shots per game. They average five point nine per game, one seventy five in the country, which is roughly the median. Mm-hmm. Seven point three. Yeah, so that that's not that that is not a huge gap. Just to get a little bit better. Obviously, on the on the flip side of that. Um, you have to make up for the fact that you lose the guy who hit the most three-point shots for you last season in Parker Stewart. Um, and, you know, I think you have, to, you have to account for the fact as well that, you know, the starting five, you know, decisions were made as far as building the starting five around three-point shooting, basically. I mean, they, they had two guys in the starting five that were out there because they could shoot primarily in Parker Stewart and Miller Cobb uh, and to have spacing about all that. So it's like, if you only made this many threes, with two guys taking up starting spots solely for the purpose of making three pointers, what are you going to be when you're when it's not that? Is, is are you going to be even further down that list? Um, but it doesn't necessarily mean that. Obviously, I think as we talked the first time around, there are more guys. The, the big, I think, difference here with this group is there are more guys who can create their own shot, uh, that it does not require someone else to get going downhill off the bounce for them to be able to, uh, you know, you don't. They don't require the defense to collapse in some way, be it on a post up or be it on a dribble drive by somebody else for them to be able to get looks. They can, you know, they can make threes by, uh, you know, basically getting space from their own man. Um, so I think that changes the calculus some, but it, it but to your grander point, um, yeah, there, there are a lot of, I think, small areas where if or, or areas where they can get better in sort of a small way and in, in, in not a drastic way, um, they can be a, a significantly uh, better team and, and can make a difference in close games. Um, and, you know, also take advantage of the fact, obviously, that the the, the pack has come back to them. Um, you know, the, all, all those close games they were losing last year, uh, some of them they lost to guys who had lottery picks, um, who are, or, or had guys in their team that are going to be in the draft lottery in, in you know, a month or whatever it is going to be. Um, so that, you know, again, when everybody else is coming back, if they make some small marginal gains, that makes a pretty big difference. I think that the phrase in you, you brought up at least one of the players that I think enters into this conversation, Miller cop that I used in our conversation was if Indiana is in a position where, because it's got a little more athleticism, a little more depth, a little more comfort with Mike Woodson, et cetera, that it can ask everyone to do a little less, but to do it better then that ultimately, I think we, we will find makes a, a pretty substantial difference. And I use Miller cop as the example, because I, I often, um, I often find that when I sort of discuss these things, like it, it, people don't appreciate the fine margins. Miller cop was 39 of 108 from behind the three point line last season. Um, that's 36.1%. I think probably, where it, it hurt for Indiana was as much in volume and wanting guys like that to take more quality shots um, and, and then therefore obviously make them. But if Miller cop made six more threes last season, so he's 39 of 108. If he made six more threes last season, he sh- he'd shoot 41.7%. And we would not be having like, maybe again, we'd want, we'd, we'd be looking at him and saying, well, Indiana will want more volume from a player like that but we would not be looking at him and saying he's not making enough of an impact from behind the three point line. And so I, the, 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 you know, to your point about guys creating their own shot, I think about the way the pick and roll offense evolved last season. And if suddenly you've got multiple entry points into that offense, then even if you can't space the floor with bodies, you are at least moving defenses around a lot more. 
in sort of the pre-shot, you know, just the, the, the pre-shot process. On defense, if you've got Trey Galloway a year older, Tamar Bates a year older, et cetera, maybe you don't have to ask Miller Cop to take such difficult defensive assignments. Then all of a sudden he's got more energy to focus on the offensive end. Maybe he's crisper coming off screens. Maybe he gets a little more lift in his legs on a shot, whatever it is. These are kind of the marginal gains that I'm sort of talking about. And, and it, it, I think you hit, you kind of hit on a lot of different points there, but it's, it's, if you can find a way to delete, you know, four points off the opponent's score and add five points, points to your score. If you're Indiana, you probably finished last season with like seven or eight more wins. And I know it's, not necessarily that simple, but I do think that is a fair way for a team that's going to get four starters back, the bulk of its bench back, guys that have left seem at least on paper to be replaced by guys that are probably more talented. A team that is, as you said, going to enjoy a lot of stability at a time when a lot of the rest of the conference is going to be in flux for the first two, three, maybe even four months of the season. I just think that, like, actually, it's not that unreasonable for Indiana. Like, what I said in that chat we had was that I'm always wary of betting too much on teams where I feel like I'm betting on their floor rather than their ceiling. But the one thing you can say about teams where you're willing to bet on their floor is that you have a better idea where the starting point is. And I think that's what's kind of interesting as it relates to a Miller cop or a Jordan Geronimo. You want to talk about – people want to know about can Geronimo keep evolving this high post – jumper that he's got can he hit more corner threes i think it's as valuable for indiana if jordan geronimo can get to defending without fouling because if he can do that he was one of the big culprits of putting guys at the free throw line not 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 that there weren't a lot of them but he's the sort of guy that could really sort of help bring that number down and then you've got an elite rebounder shot blocker all of a sudden that that's how you take that's how you gain one one and a half percent defensively and it just sort of it grows and grows No, absolutely. I, I didn't even realize, I think, uh, the degree to which Geronimo was a culprit there. I mean, I think uh, his fouls committed per 40 uh, is 4.6. And basically the only other people, you know, Parker Stewart was at 4.2 and Michael Durr was at 7.6, obviously in limited minutes. Everybody else is under four. Um, so that, that would make a huge difference, basically, if they can get to the point where he's defending without fouling. But, I, you know, I think Stewart's number there as, as being part of the discussion, obviously, is a big thing as well, where you want Geronimo to get bet better. But obviously, I think a key thing was just the simple fact that Parker Stewart was frequently defending shooting guards that were beyond his athletic capacity. Uh, and and, I, and I've, uh, you know, definitely made this point on Twitter and elsewhere that I thought Parker Stewart really worked to become a better defender. I don't think he ever got to be a good one, but he certainly got better. And so I, I, I don't like to bag on him too much because uh, I think he put a lot, a lot of time in there and, and I think he got better as the season wore along. I think, uh, you know, Hunter Maldonado was a pretty good matchup for him because he was just sort of a bulkier guy and, and you know, Parker's kind of thick. So that basically um, worked out for him. I thought he did a good job, was part of the reason why Maldonado had so many turnovers in that Wyoming game, uh, which which I think was a big piece that led to Indiana being able to take control of that game. So I, I don't like killing him on defense, but um, there are other guys that should be able to take the shooting guard spot, the two. Um, that 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 should be better cali- higher caliber defenders than he was. So if they can keep their guys out of the paint, 
then Jordan Geronimo's not fouling as much. They're not fouling as much. That foul number's down. Um, basically, if, if you're not putting as many two guards in the line, and, and those guys usually can shoot free throws. So if those guys aren't going to the line as much, um, if, if they're not you know, putting Indiana in a scramble, a scenario where Jordan Geronimo has to pick them up, uh, as they go to the lane and try to try to finish, then you know, or Trace Jackson Davis or Ray Thompson or Millie Reno for that matter, uh, then that foul number comes down. If if you keep those guys out of the paint, if you keep yourself from getting in rotations and getting scrambled, uh, you have a chance to avoid some fouls. And just that alone uh, makes a difference as far as cutting down on those. So I, I think those you're absolutely right. Those are some key pieces, key areas where where they can just sort of trim a little bit of fat uh, and and just sort of trim a little bit of of what's allowing other teams to score. I think I, I am sort of fascinated about the defensive side of things because the, the 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 piece that really underpinned Indiana's defense last season was the rim protection. They were far and away the best team in the conference, protecting the basket, blocking shots. Their block rate, I think, in conference play was was first by some distance. Um, we obviously talked a lot last season about their lack of a true wing defender. It's hard to say this for sure until we get into the season, but obviously it does feel like that will be less of a weakness this year. Keegan Murray's gone, Johnny Davis, Caleb Houston, Jaden Ivey, Ron Harper. You'd imagine at least a couple of those guys are replaced by volume type offensive players. You know, obviously like Chris Murray, perhaps stepping into some of his brother's shoes or stepping into his brother's shoes to an extent at Iowa. But you would imagine that in general, the, the league will not be nearly as deep on the wing. So as you said, I think I, th- I think you said the pack kind of came back to Indiana a little bit. It's it's hard to imagine that but between them, given another offseason, Jordan Geronimo, Trey Galloway, Tamar Bates, you know, maybe Jalen Hutchifino is somewhere in this conversation that the, collectively Indiana won't be better defending the wing. But then also that the league is is also maybe not going to be as good there and, and is able to hurt teams so consistently from those positions. Um, the the really big piece for Indiana is they were in conference play, um, in conference play alone last season. Indiana was I think thirteenth in the Big Ten in opponent for in, in opponent free throw rate. Um, they put opponents at the free throw line way too often on 31.1% of, of total field goal attempts. That number was uh, actually, I think, only slight. It was only slightly better. It was 30.7% overall. And overall, last season, opponents shot 75.6% from the free throw line. Obviously, that can be a little bit of a, you know, sometimes some, some of that can be a fluke. In terms of, you know, I remember a few years ago, Indiana was actually one of the best teams in the country in opponent free throw percentage. And Archie Miller was like, I promise you, there's not some magic to how we're fouling. Like we're just guys just aren't making free throws. But I do think there's something to the idea that when Indiana was consistently matched against teams that had players like Jaden Ivey or Johnny Davis or Ron Harper that were good free throw shooters that Indiana struggled to defend it, you know, Indiana struggled to defend those guys. They drew more fouls. They got to the free throw line more often. They hurt Indiana more. That is kind of the area where I think you look at it and you say, if if everybody can just get a little bit better at defending without fouling while retaining the ability to, to, to protect the rim and be as aggressive blocking shots as Indiana was last season, 
you know, that, that's an area where I think a lot of people are thinking about, a, a you know, an, uh, I mentioned this in take one, an Armand Franklin-esque jump from Tamar Bates or, you know, Jalen hood Shafino being a 12-point-a-game scorer as a freshman, whatever. But if you think about the other end of the floor and you think about maybe wiping, again, four, five, six free throws a game off the ledger most nights in conference play, that alone gets you from – nine conference wins to maybe 12 and then you look for the next marginal game that gets you 13 and then 14 and then all of a sudden you are one of those teams maybe you win the league with 14 wins maybe you don't but you are in that conversation you are in that class for next season yeah no 100 percent. I, I think um and you you uh i, I did want to give you quickly give you credit uh for the uh the Mar- armand franklin thing because i wasn't really considering uh, Bates in that uh, in that frame, but I, I think even if he makes maybe what 80% of an Amar Franklin Armand Franklin leap, um, that gets you so far. I mean that that would really go a long way. If you could just if Tamar Bates can just get to the point where he can start, then I think that that makes a lot work uh, for this Indiana team where you can trust him, put him out there 25, 30 minutes a game. I don't know if he has to be the the lead guard scorer like Armand Franklin became uh in his sophomore year I don't know if he has to do that I think he just got to get to the point where you can trust him to, to shoot trust him to handle the basketball put him out there and and trust him to defend his position for 25 to 30 minutes I think he's got a lot of capacity and if he gets there and then you also get contributions you know Xavier Johnson is more the guy that he was at the end of last year than he was at the beginning uh and Jalen Hochefino is as advertised and you've got a chance to have a really good backcourt um but yeah no all all of those all of those small pieces uh add up and i think you know like you said it, it really is in terms of lowering an opponent's ability to make free throws it really is just it's keeping the guards out of the paint is really the biggest thing because you know like if the forwards are just making free throws on you if you're fouling them when they get posted up or they get the ball around the rim you just got to live with that. I mean, you got to be able to play physical with those guys. There's going to be some fouls there and you just sort of trust they're not going to make all of theirs because generally big guys don't, you know, basically you're, you're trusted when, when you're putting those guys in the line, you know, if, and if they hit, if, if big 10 forwards hit 75% of the free throws, you just have to tip your hat more or less. Um, but it's when you put guys that you expect to be 80, 85, 90% free throw shooters on the line uh, that evinces a that that's generally evidence of a breakdown on the perimeter and so you just need less of a breakdown on the perimeter so those kind of guys are not the guys who are at the line all the time johnny davis shot 21 free throws in two games against indiana last season um jaden ivy shot 11 over two games i'm struggling to find the first iowa game obviously keegan murray was quiet in that game um but if you look at the the iowa game that in the Big Ten tournament, he just kind of blew up from behind the three-point line. So Indiana really didn't have – I think Indiana would have preferred to put him at the free-throw line in that game. Um, but it is – I mean, the other part of this conversation that I think is interesting is at some level, it's kind of a two-through-four conversation. Like we know what Trace Jackson Davis is as, as a forward I think we should feel relatively – maybe it's – you know, I don't think he's going to do what he did in the last seven, nine games of last season, but I think you can feel relatively confident in what Xavier Johnson is as a point guard. And then 
there's little bits and pieces in there. Malik Renault, can he play some four or some five or maybe race Thompson? How does he play some five when Renault's playing the four to give Jackson Davis some minutes? How do you blend Jalen hood in as a ball handler? But by and large, we are kind of talking about how Indiana fills two, three, and four. And again, it, it's, this is all kind of glass half full. Like I, and, and it's interesting because I think you and I were probably both a little bit glass half empty in that, that, that beat writer chat we did with Matt. Um, but if you do think about it, Indiana can make some pretty substantial gains. Can at very least go from nine big 10 wins to let's say 12 or 13 big 10 wins without asking anybody to just absolutely transform this offseason. It will be much more about collectively. Can Indiana allow six fewer free throw attempts a game collectively can Indiana produce two more turnovers a game, you know, individually can Indiana count on basically one more three pointer per game from a combination of Trey Galloway, Miller cop, Jordan Geronimo and Tamar Bates. That's that's 30 between four guys across an entire season. And that's not counting the impact you might get from a Jalen hood, Shafino or an Anthony Leal, if he's ready for a bigger role or that sort of thing, you know, you do that. And suddenly you do go from 21 wins to 25 wins without a lot of fanfare, if you understand what I'm saying. Um, and you and you do that while, you know, listen, Indiana would probably still be a below average three-point shooting team under those circumstances next season, but they'd be better enough. You know, Indiana, even without those defensive improvements, we've seen what they're capable of defensively, but do that and you go from being in the 20s nationally to being in the teens or maybe even higher. And suddenly, you know, your offense gets easier. You start making a few more shots, et cetera. It, it, it doesn't feel the one thing about high floor teams. And I kind of said this at the outset as somebody who is skeptical of them in general. Um, the one thing about high floor teams is – there's a lot more you feel like you can rely on when you start looking for, okay, where, where, you know, what are the, what are the foundations that we're confident aren't going to crack while we're trying to build up on top of this teams like Indiana have stronger foundations. And, and if you can get Tamar Bates to suddenly become a 13 point a game scorer, or if Miller cops shooting 47% from behind the three point line or something like that, well, fantastic. But you don't necessarily need all that. You just need everybody to get like 3% better. Then suddenly a team that played and won some, but also lost a lot of close games last season is three, 4% better and starts winning those close games. And it, it, it can be tricky year on year to talk about that in college basketball because of roster turnover. But Indiana didn't have a lot of roster turnover that should hurt. You know, I think that, and I'm not picking on him, but like you brought up the loss of Parker Stewart. I think I pointed out in that that chat we did, Stewart was something like six of 29 in Indiana's last nine or ten games of the season. So from behind three point lines. So I'm not, I'm not picking on him so much as pointing out that it wasn't like that impact was consistent. If you can get consistent impact again in little two, three, four, five percent areas of growth from every guy, then that that collectively adds up to this team looking a lot more like a big 10 title contender that I think we feel like we can trust going into, you know, September, October. 
Right. I mean, obviously, I mean, consistency is the, is the big issue there because like when we're talking about it in June, it's, it's a lot, consistency is a lot easier thing to imagine than when you get into January, February, March, you actually start seeing the games um, and seeing, okay, you know, one guy blows up this, this game and then you don't hear from him from three or four games, you know, it, it, it or, or, you know, it's that, that sort of thing. I mean, consistency sounds a lot easier to expect before the, you know, before the bullets start flying. Um, and so that, that's the issue is, and, and so I, I, I do, this is really the case I think for Indiana, but for the whole big 10, um, when you let your imagination start going, you can talk yourself into them and you can talk yourself out of them. Um, and that I think is even more, that's always the case, I think in the off season, but I think this year is one of those years where it's really the case where, I mean, we like we've obviously seen a, 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 a what, what I thought was a great Indiana team going back to 2013. We, we've talked about obviously we podcasted about them before. You don't have that feeling where you like it wasn't a question whether they were going to be good. It was going to be how good, you know. It was just going to be like okay, um, are you know are, are they going to win a national championship? Because obviously this team is is going to be this this team has too much talent not to be good. Or even and, and even when we uh, we weren't talking about these guys as much because they're not our beat. But you knew last year's Purdue team had too much talent not to be good, you know, not to be really good. And it was just a question of how far, you know, like. Were they going to win the Big Ten? Were they going to win a national championship? Were they going to go to the Final Four? You knew they were going to win a bunch of games, and you knew they were going to make some level of impact uh, in the NCAA tournament, and that happened. They won 29 games and got, got beaten in the Sweet 16, but there was just so much talent there. You don't have the same look at Indiana. You don't look at this group. Again, they can win the Big Ten, and, and, and you might look back and say, man, a, a lot of these – flaws they managed to cover up they managed to get past they managed to overcome whatever it, it is you can see in your mind's eye a, a, a scenario where they just get a little bit better in all those areas and that's enough to get them there but the problem is that you could also let your imagination run the other way you know and and it doesn't seem crazy where it's like with certain teams that are that loaded like you just you can't imagine them being any you know worse than a certain floor you know and I and I and I and I think this Indiana team has a relatively high floor, but its floor is not 25 wins. Its floor is not 28 wins and a sweet 16. You know, like its floor is lower than that. Its floor is being back on the bubble, I think. You know, like I mean, I, I, I think, think no, I think that's fair. I think and they're I think safe that's... to get in, but like I can see things breaking wrong, and I don't think they're a first four team if everything you know goes the wrong direction. But, you know, they, they can be an eight seed if it all goes wrong, you know, like or a nine seed or something like that. And, and, a, and, a, and a first weekend out. Exit. And I think that's I think that's that. where people's skepticism, including really us. And that's kind of the genesis. Again, you know, if, if people listen to this and then read that that beat chat we did, like, I think we were both probably more pessimistic in that. And I'm not saying we're just doing this to present the optimistic side of it, but, you know, I think that just sort of bent toward the doubts we have and the questions Indiana has to answer. And the fact that like, again, they're, they're the favorite in the big 10 because somebody's gotta be at the end of the day, Vegas is going to want to take bets on these sorts of things. Somebody has to be the favorite. It will probably at this point be Indiana, but they're not a clear cut favorite. They're not just in like a, a clear front runner the way that, 
Purdue was last year. Wisconsin's been in recent years. You know, to your point, Indiana certainly was even in a very talented Big Ten in 2013. Um, but I think it 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 does feel as much as I guess the the the, the genesis of this conversation in my mind going through our chat yet the other day was it does feel like a lot of the discussion around whether or not Indiana can be trusted to perform at that level is, is, is in big terms is in terms like can Tamar Bates suddenly turn into Victor Oladipo or can Indiana go from hitting 31.3% of its threes, which I think was its team average last year to 37% of its threes, which is, you know, that's an unlikely bit of growth. Um, I think where the conversation should center because you're talking about a team that is a lot of proven quantities and basically it's a lot of proven quantities with the incomings on paper looking ever so slightly more, you know, higher quality than the outgoings. If you understand what I'm saying, then you're not, I, I, I'm not saying we won't see some, night and day transformation somewhere on this roster this season. But I suspect that if Indiana is going to win the big 10, it's going to be much more about a small, like a, 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 a clutch of players, five, six players that we can look at. We can look at on June 8th, 2022. And then let's say March 8th, 2023, and say each one of those guys got 5% better than they were the season before. And when that all added up, that made Indiana a team that closed out the games at Purdue and swept Wisconsin and won at Ohio State on the road. And then all of a sudden, that's a 13-win Big Ten team. And maybe maybe they beat – maybe they win their ACC game and they beat Arizona on a neutral floor and then – that's probably a four seed or a five. Um, I don't, I, I absolutely think this team still has the capacity to be on the bubble in March. I do not dispute that at all. I just think if they're not, and if they do, you know, if, if we set sort of the spectrum of like where Indiana can finish, if this group is, you know, can finish next season from a Big Ten perspective and an NCAA tournament perspective, if this group's going to finish in the, the high end of, the, of that range, Maybe I'm wrong, and it is going to be because one or two guys were just at, like just total revelations. But I suspect it, it's a lot more likely that it's going to be because Indiana, as a group of experienced players, got even better together in year two under a head coach that they've clearly bought into. And that growth collectively is what pushed them, you know, to an, a new ceiling. Yeah. No, I mean, again, I, I don't, I don't disagree with that. I think. And, and I do think one thing that, um, you know, we were talking about the optimism and the pessimism and, and being half empty versus half full. I mean, I think we're just looking at, we're seeing half a glass and we're, we're, we're seeing something that like there are there, it is clearly not a full glass. It is clearly not an empty glass. And it's just, it, it, it you know, things could go either way, I, I, I guess is, is really what we're, we're saying here that, that there is obviously enough of substance there to think that they can't be terrible. Um, but you know, that, that, that there is a floor that's, that's somewhere, 
I, I you know, I, again, I, I don't, I think this is too, this team is too good not to make the tournament at all. But I think that's the one floor I'm willing to put, barring obvious injury. Uh, you know, if, if, if some guys have some, you know, season ending ACL tears, you know, obviously that changes the game. You know, I, I think this, this team's absolute floor is being a tournament team, but I'm not setting the floor any higher than that. But yes, I, I think it can be, you know, small gains. And, and, and another thing I think about it is too, is just like you said, I mean, the, 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 the talent gains are bigger than the losses. If you, you know, if, if you put, Jalen Huchafino, Malik Reno, um, Caleb Banks, and CJ Gunn on one side of the floor, and you put, you know, uh, Parker Stewart, Christian Lander, Rob Finnessy, and Michael Dora on the other side of the floor, and you say, who are you taking? You know, even as freshmen, I think you're taking the kids, you know, like as far as just raw talent. I mean, like. And you're taking uh, the kids in a setting where. You know, not one of them has to come in. I think we expect a couple of them to be meaningfully impactful this winter and obviously injuries could open doors to different things. And listen, if Caleb Banks steps onto campus and has the summer Calvert Chaney had where everyone was like, who is this guy? He's the best player on the team. Like when, you know, cause that's the way people talked about Chaney that summer, I think in 89 when they all came in and he wasn't as heralded as some of the other guys in that group, there were a couple of McDonald's all Americans and things like that. And, and like from the first workouts, everyone was like, Nope, he's, he's number one. <laughs> like he's the best one. If that happens, then again, Indiana's, so much better, but you don't even have to expect that of any of those guys. You don't even have to expect Tamar Bates. Again, I think a lot of people bring Bates up because not unlike Armand Franklin, when I made that comparison earlier that you brought up, like we can see it. You could see it in Armand Franklin, even though he only averaged like two and a half points a game his freshman year. You saw it in the shot mechanics. You saw it in the way he moved without the ball. You saw it in the way he defended. You saw it in, you know, just the just the 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 athleticism and the bounciness that he had, that there was a player in there. And then you looked at what he'd done in high school and where he'd done it and who he'd done it against. And I think we can have a lot of the same conversations about Tamar Bates. But you don't even have to expect that of Tamar Bates for Tamar Bates's growth to be a meaningful contribution to this team getting a lot better. And one thing I want to add to that too is is makeup too, like. You don't, I mean, Armand Franklin and Tamar Bates are two guys that like you talk to anybody around them the rest of their life. I mean, love them, like absolutely adore them as human beings. You know, like that, that's, you will never hear bad words about Armand Franklin or Tamar Bates from anyone they're around. I mean, and, and you will, you know, glowing stuff, um, even more Tamar, I think, than Armand, but both of them just as dudes, like they just are, um, everybody just really, really likes those guys and trusts their work ethic. And I think that's another piece to it is that they, everybody has just raves about their makeup uh, as athletes, but just as people. Um, so I, th- I think that's, that's another piece to it, but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, like I said, I, I, he is a guy that you look at and say like he, he underperformed his ranking more than Armand did um, obviously as a freshman. So I think that, that he's a guy there, but, um, to your point, I, th- I think the only guy that, that is going to be demanded to make like Jalen Hochefino has to make a difference right away. The other three can take their time. Hochefino as a, you know, he's the only other point guard. When Xavier Johnson comes off the floor, Hochefino has got to be the guy running, the, running the offense. Number one. And number two, he does it. He does seem to, make all the pieces work if you can start him at the two and move him at the one. And he's got to 
be a true combo where he can start at the two and move to the one and handle in both positions and defend uh, both positions. You know, has to be able to defend a ball handler when Johnson's not on the floor uh, and defend a wing uh, when he is. Um, so that that's the one guy who's going to be forced in a position where he's he's got to get something done right away. Everybody else can take their time. You know, Caleb Banks can take his time to find spot, whether it's the four or the three. I think he can be either one, really. Um, and I think he's more suited to that even than a Jordan Geronimo was, where he's shown, I think, real perimeter handles uh, as a high school player. Malik Reno is, again, is a five-star guy that is almost just a total bonus when you have Jackson Davis and Brace Thompson there to start, and Jordan Geronimo as part of that as, as well. Like, I mean, Reno gets to really take his time and develop, um, and, you know, almost anything you get from him is, is, is great. But, you know, nothing's going to be demanded, whereas Hojofino is, I think, the one guy who is going to be production is going to be demanded from. I think that's fair. Um, but broadly speaking, I still think you're in a position where it, it's not like anything you get from two through four is a bonus, but you don't look at anybody in that two through four and say like, if you don't show up every night, we don't know what to do. And, and we've only got about three, about two minutes left. So I don't want, I, I, we should probably just kind of sew this up, but I, I just think that it's, it really does, like I will hammer this on one more time and then give you the last word. It really does feel to me like if Indiana does, you know, meet this expectation that maybe not even that it wins the Big Ten, but certainly that it is as much of a pace setter in the conference as anyone. Like maybe maybe they finish second by a game or something, but they're in that conversation the whole season. I, I just have a strong suspicion it's going to be more because – we look back at the end of the year and said Trey Galloway got a little bit better as a three-point shooter. Miller Cop got a little bit better as a three-point shooter. You know, Tamar Bates went from whatever it was last season, like three points a game to, you know, maybe nine points a game. Jordan Geronimo stopped fouling so much, and so he became an even bigger defensive weapon. Um, I think that's that's what's going to do it for this Indiana team. For me, and if, you know, I'll hold my hand up if at Christmas somebody's scoring 15 a game and Indiana's number three in the country – you know, I'll swallow my words, but that's how it feels to me. Yeah, no, no, I'd agree. Like I said, and 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 they're not necessarily mutually exclusive either. Uh, as some guys can make big leaps, um, and and also get all of these other you know sort of small marginal gains. But I, but I think to your grander point, marginal gains could be enough for them to be part of the discussion. I, I, I like they they don't require, as you mentioned, a, a quantum leap uh, to be a Big Ten contender. We'll leave it there for today. Uh, for Dustin Depirak, I'm Zach Osterman. Thank you so much for listening to Mind Your Banners. Uh, I think we may be talking to some of these new guys in the next week or two, so we'll come back after we've maybe had some conversations with the newest Hoosiers. Uh, but thank you all for listening. This has been Mind Your Banners for June 8th, 2022. We will talk to you soon. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.